You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. This week, I want to talk about blood sugar and how that can impact your hormones and vice versa. And what prompted this is it's so funny because I feel like unintentionally, sometimes the way my appointments are grouped, I will have very, very similar cases back to back or on the same day. For instance, the other day, there were three separate cases where on every Dutch test that I read, which interestingly, every test that I read that day was Dutch tests and which Dutch test stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. I have quite a few amounts of podcasts talking about those, and we will be talking about some hormonal markers in today's episode as well. But what was interesting is in every single one of those cases, there were indicators to me that there was some blood sugar imbalancing issues. And when we went over history and things, there were things like PCOS or... Um, having a hard time losing weight, seeing weight loss resistance. And I just kind of thought, wow, this was this is really sh- sh- very prominently on my mind because I've dealt with it so much this week that it would be a really perfect opportunity to talk about it on the podcast. So that's what I'm going to do. I really want to talk about how your blood sugar and how your metabolism, blood sugar balancing, insulin, all of that, how that can impact your hormones. I've done a few other episodes similar to it, such as the spironolactone episode. So if you listen to um, the spironolactone episode, you would have learned that the reason spironolactone works is because it really helps to lower excessive androgens. Well, why do androgens get elevated? generally because of blood sugar imbalances and insulin. So what we can see, so say we don't run blood sugar, say you don't have no idea what your blood sugar looks like. Um, Symptoms that you can assume that there's some blood sugar dysregulation, you can feel shakiness. If you have any in, um, you can't go more than two to three hours in between a meal. Um, You get hangry, you might get lightheaded. Sometimes you might even get like nauseous or weak or fatigued. Um, if you haven't eaten something, sometimes people don't notice any of those, but their main symptom of blood sugar dysregulation is acne, especially along their jawline. Or sometimes it can be a hard time losing weight or just really intense sugar cravings, or it very well can be a combination of all of the above. So how that can correlate to hormones and, you know, especially when we look at PCOS and endo, um, blood sugar dysregulation creates growth. Um, so raising insulin creates things to grow, which in the case of muscle tissue, bone, you know, that, that's very healthy. That's, that's what we want. That's why post-workout carbohydrates can be really beneficial. But we obviously don't want to constantly be stimulating insulin because insulin is a growth and because that can make it very hard for us to lose weight if that's a goal Um, or it can make it really difficult especially in the case of acne because it's creating kind of these like gross or same thing with endo with pcos Uh, those are the very common hormonal conditions that we see with it and blood sugar can be dysregulated for a lot of different reasons. Um, A really big reason that I tend to see is cortisol. Uh, Cortisol is 
a big indicator of blood sugar dysregulation issues because cortisol and stress, it's, it's more of a, a primitive response because if we think about it, if we were out and we were in danger and we, our body needed fuel to be able to fight or flee, we would need fuel. So what the body does is when we're stressed, it's kind of in that fight or flight mode. So it releases glucose into the bloodstream for our body to use as fuel. So that's really, really helpful if we're like running from a tiger, if we are in like a life or death situation, if we're in a workout, you know, that's really helpful to have that. But think about how many people or how many of us are in almost like a chronic stress system when we're, when we're stressed constantly and stressed all the time. That's obviously not beneficial for our hormones. Um, It's not great for your system and it's definitely not great for your blood sugar because then your body just is always in this kind of fight or flight mode, you know, blood sugar is always readily available. So you can measure blood sugar is usually measured through blood. Um, you can measure it through fasting blood sugar. You can measure it, um, over a three month snapshot using hemoglobin A1C. So that would on a, on a blood test, just be like HG A1C. That's, that's what that marker would look like that t- that marker typically is not run unless you asked for it because unless they know that you're pre-diabetic or diabetic or maybe a PCOS they're probably not going to run it unless you ask for it and ideally we would like to be 5.3 or under um, usually like around five and under is is really ideal um, so essentially what that means hemoglobin a1c is cool because it's kind of a three month snapshot of what your blood sugar looks like so um, a a glucose around, I think over 5.4 kind of puts you in almost like that pre-diabetic range of average glucose around a pre-diabetic, which is over 100, which ideal blood sugar ranges are anywhere between 75 and 85. Ideal. Notice I said ideal. Um, if you get if you get blood labs done, they won't flag it until it gets over 100 which by that point, it's pretty much already in a pre-diabetic range. And then at diabetes, it's 120. So, um, it's really important to kind of catch it before it gets to that point. And to the point of prediabetes and diabetes, you don't have to be overweight to have those things. I see so many people, especially post birth control and with PCOS who don't necessarily fit the typical prediabetes mold, but they can have dysregulated blood sugar. And that can be from a lot of various issues stress, chronic inflammation, which chronic inflammation can come from so many things birth control use, gut infections. Um, and gut infections could be things, SIBO, parasites, um, candida, leaky gut, you know, very anything that kind of really creates just low chronic stress on the body is, is what we're kind of looking for there. So those are kind of the markers if you're getting blood done. Insulin is another really great marker, fasting insulin, because insulin is what it, the hormone that's released um, to kind of go, insulin is a very, a storage hormone. So it makes us store things or grow. So again, great in the context of muscle building bones, etc. but not great for constantly being stimulated. Um, insulin is triggered from glucose and what can happen is insulin resistance essentially is when insulin doesn't respond to high glucose levels anymore. So that's when we get to the point of blood sugar is high, we can't get it low because insulin's not responding to kind of take care of the 
high blood sugar anymore. And so insulin, if, if you get that measured on a blood test, which that is very rare, I actually had one person tell me one time that her doctor said there's no such thing as a fasting insulin. There there most certainly 1000% is a fasting insulin test. And most lab ranges won't flag it until it gets over 15. Uh, every range is different. So one thing that most people need to understand about ranges is their ranges are calculated based on a weighted average of a very sick population. So I never go off of general ranges on a standard lab test because they're based off of a really not optimal population. So they won't flag it on standard labs until 15. I've seen some, some lab ranges go up to 20 uh, from you know wherever you're getting it measured from. But I personally do not like to see insulin over seven. Ideally around five and six is kind of ideal because um, that's showing me that you have really good control. So insulin is a really great hormone to get measured via blood, hemoglobin A1C. Fasting glucose is helpful, but fasting glucose, you have to be, you just have to take a, know a little bit of consideration because I've had people that if they do a hard workout that morning and they go right and get blood work done, um, you know, when we do something hard, when we do something strenuous, the body is going to release glucose because we have stored forms of glucose in our liver that's called glycogen, which is super helpful because say we eat carbs at dinner the next day, we do some exercise, we've got some carbs that we can use for fuel that day. So if you did like a really hard exercise that morning and then immediately got blood work done and you're still fasted, that, that glucose might be a little high. Um, ideally, after exercise, that glucose, you will see that come down significantly. We get so much better glucose control post activity, whether that activity is a workout or even just a walk, um, incredible blood sugar control. But I do see some people have that, or some people will drink black coffee, which is fine, but coffee can raise cortisol and raising cortisol can also stimulate the body to dump some glycogen out of the system and therefore kind of create some false results there. So that is fasting glucose is helpful, but it's so much more helpful to get the hemoglobin A1C. That's a weighted average, a three month average of everything. So what impact does this have on the rest of your hormones? Well, what we can see from other labs is dysregulated blood sugar can obviously cause high androgens and more specifically, it can cause high, um, a five alpha pathway of uh, testosterone or androgen detoxification, which that pathway is three to five times more potent than standard androgens and testosterone. So for people who are have less than favorable blood sugar control, if they are you know, favoring that five alpha pathway, which we can look on something like the Dutch test, they might have normal testosterone, but if they are favoring that, they can have very, very severe androgenic symptoms, which can be oily skin, hair loss on your head, but hair growth on parts of your body. Think of like that dark, coarse hair that you might notice or like that, you know, coarse chin hair or whatever it may be. Those are common things that I see. We can notice definitely acne. Acne is a huge androgen symptom. Um, mood swings can definitely be one too. And I definitely see people on the other end of the spectrum where they don't have enough testosterone. So with all things hormones, the Goldilocks era and the Goldilocks range is absolutely where we want to be. We never want to be super low. We never want to be super high. So, and it's also really important when we can look at um, detoxification pathways, because that can give us a lot more insight into how your body's metabolizing things. And even if something's normal, it's nice to look at those things. Testosterone, I know I'm a huge fan of urine testing, but testosterone, free tea, 
um, on a blood test is very, very helpful as well. Um, I don't usually like to measure other sex hormones like progesterone, estrogen on blood tests because I do get very differing answers. Those tend to be so much better with urine, but but a free testosterone on a blood test is, is a really great test as well. It will not show us the detoxification pathways, but it'll give us an indication of where testosterone is. Um, we also in terms of how blood sugar dysregulation can impact hormones, we can see, so blood sugar dysregulation is creating inflammation. Um, excessive inflammation can definitely show up as high DHEA. So DHEA is great because it is kind of the building blocks for other hormones, but when it's too high, um, it definitely can just really place a lot of stress on the adrenals. It can just really create a lot of systemic inflammation. Um, so when kind of people feel like they just feel kind of inflamed. Sometimes we see that with high DHEA. Um, with high testosterone, because it's a stress and because insulin resistance can impact not just, uh, you know, blood level, it can impact various organs. Insulin resistance impacts your retinas. That's why we see diabetic retinopathy. Um, it can impact your ovaries. That's why we see PCOS impact ovulation because essentially PCOS is insulin resistance of your ovaries. Um, I, in my own mind, kind of think that endometriosis is almost like an insulin resistance of the endometrial tissue. With endometriosis, it, there's very much so a very strong gut component and an autoimmune component as well. Um, but blood sugar control has to be addressed I, in most cases with endo because we really want to minimize the amount that that's growing. We obviously see insulin be a huge risk factor for things like cancer. Um, and we know that most people are not metabolically active, metabolically healthy. They say what, eight to 12% of the population. And we see how much, how prevalent cancer is. So, um, it's kind of, I'm digressing a little bit for kind of hormones, but that's definitely very much so a very helpful case for breast tissue, for breast cancers, things like that. Um, so, you know, insulin control is, is really important. So how are some ways that we can really balance our blood sugar? We can obviously just start with what we're eating, whole nutrient dense foods, looking at our plate and a large portion of, um, you know, if we kind of cut our plate into quarters or we cut it in half, you know, half of it maybe is like some type of fiber, um, or mix of some type of fibrous food. Maybe a quarter of it is, you know, a starchy veg or like a sweet potato, rice, fruit, whatever. And then, you know, a good portion of that is also protein and how you eat your meal can drastically reduce blood sugar control and, and improve blood sugar control. So eating your fiber, your protein first, and then eating carbohydrate as opposed to eating carbohydrate first. Um, it's very quickly digested so that blood sugar hits the stream, bloodstream, and it's able to be a lot more imbalanced. Whereas if you ate the protein, fat, fiber first, that really slows down digestion a lot. So when you eat the carbs, it ends up being digested so much slower. So that's a really great, great blood sugar control hack. Um, obviously, minimizing seed oils, that's a huge theme of I feel like what I really started this podcast on a few years ago is the impact that those are having on our metabolism. If you have not read the books by Dr. Kate Shanahan, Deep Nutrition and the Fat Burn Fix, those are really great resources to really go down the rabbit hole of how these industrial seed oils, the vegetable oils are impacting our metabolism so much differently than you know other fats. So those can have a really immense impact. 
Um, going for a small little walk after a meal, 10-15 minute walk post meal has a drastic difference on our blood sugar. Movement in general, um, when I've worn continuous glucose monitors, when I've done a workout, you can just see so much better blood sugar control throughout the rest of the day. You have got better insulin sensitivity at that following meal. You've got less cravings because you're, you, you are more stable throughout the day. So f- f- adding in some form of activity that works for you is, is in my opinion, a non-negotiable. Now you can't just do activity. You have to do the diet piece. You have to do the ordering, making sure that the foods are as minimally processed as possible, as, as whole in their natural form as possible is obviously going to be a huge impact as well. And some other things, herbals and whatnot that I see really beneficial for blood sugar control. Um, I see, especially for high testosterone due to blood sugar control, spearmint is really great. I love that with my PCOS cases. Um, and especially like uh, hormonally hormonal driven acne. Berberine is great. Berberine is an herb that essentially metformin was derived from. Like berberine is kind of the natural form of metformin. It's really great. It is super potent. I have somebody who has fasting blood sugars used to be like 160 and we haven't really at this point he hadn't made a lot of diet changes just the berberine until we had our initial and he went down to like 124 so it's still not where we want to see it by any means but I mean it's a huge drop 40 point 40 plus point drop um, with no diet modifications is quite significant so it's really potent with berberine um, it is nice because a lot of people can use it in various gut protocols because it is mildly antimicrobial so it's great for certain cases of SIBO some people use it for candida but because of that it is something that you do want to be careful of like long-term use so I tell people maybe don't use it at every single meal you know take it for you know two to three months on and then take a break. Um, for me personally, I just like to utilize it if I'm having a higher carb meal, if I'm eating out, if it's around the holidays, I really like to use it strategically for that. Um, apple cider vinegar is another amazing tool. Not only is it a really great natural digestive enzyme, but it has been shown to have really, really great improvements in blood sugar control as well. So taking that diluted in water a little bit before or after a meal can drastically improve, improve um, blood, blood sugar control, excuse me. So that is super, super helpful. Um, I mean, there's so many great, just even like I mentioned, making sure you're getting enough protein. So many people meals are just more carbohydrate heavy or not balanced. So when a meal is more balanced, you're going to have a blood a better blood sugar control than if you didn't. So, um, like I mentioned, the tie with hormones, it goes really hand in hand. If we think about that hormonal period that I feel like I've referenced a billion times, you know, cortisol and insulin are kind of really the kingpins at the top of this pyramid that are controlling everything else. They're controlling your thyroid, they're controlling your DHEA, they're controlling your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So if those two are out of line, which blood sugar control has, um, it's just, it's really, really essential. So I feel like I've talked about this a lot, but because I've been seeing it so much in practice this week, I really wanted to just hit on it again. So if you have heard this from me in the podcast before, if you've heard me talk about this, I wanted to hit on it again because I'm just seeing it so, so, so frequently. And it's, it's something that we want to definitely improve because if blood sugar can get, if it goes uncontrolled for too long we see the amount of obesity in the country we see the rates of cancer cardiovascular disease obviously these chronic diseases but they do stem from 
insulin dysregulation and, and blood sugar imbalances. So it's very, very important to get a control on this. And usually the hormonal changes that we notice are kind of that first little red flag that's popping up. So it's very, very important to take note of that. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening and I will see you next week.